next year of following you, of serving you, using our gifts to build your kingdom here on earth, to be our vision, be the center of our lives. Guide us, lead us. We pray that this morning as we gather on the last day of the year, worshiping together as your church, that you'd be honored, you'd be glorified, that we would be able to reflect back and remember your goodness to us as a local church body and just seeing what you're doing in and around the world, even amidst difficult times. We thank you even in difficult times in our own lives through loss and suffering and struggles and sickness. We praise you in the good and in the difficult. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to Maranatha. I encourage you to greet those who are around you this morning on this wonderful morning. Feel free to have a seat once you've greeted those around you. So glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, If you are visiting with us, uh, we'd love to have you fill out one of our yellow sheets. We have those at the desk just as you were coming in, Um, the little table between the doors there. Uh, Or if you have a prayer request, if you're a regular attender and you want to update information on there, you can put that in there, prayer request. I would love to uh, just be able to connect you, and and if you want to get plugged into a ministry that you're not already plugged into, let us know on those yellow sheets. We uh, have our offering box in the back, and uh, just thank you for your faithfulness in in giving your tithes and offerings as a part of our regular act of worship. Again, since COVID, we don't pass a plate, but uh, you know the routine, and we just thank you as a church, as leadership of the church, for your faithfulness. God has been good to our church. Um, we, we are doing well uh, in terms of in the black and, and uh, finishing out this, this calendar year well and on track to have, have a, a good fiscal year, being able to meet our, our budgetary needs that the, the elders have um, approved and the, and the congregation has approved for this year. So thank you for um, being faithful to the Lord in that regard. Braveheart snowshoeing. Mm. You may not need the snowshoes. Actually, I've been told that that has been canceled, um, so I'm uh, sorry about that, but hopefully maybe it'll be rescheduled come later on if, if uh, the Lord decides to give us a little more snow this winter. Uh, we have missionary calendars that are available if you didn't already see those, um, or if you're newer to Maranatha, every month uh, we try to put these together, and again, they're color-coded um, with different missionaries and ministries that we support as a church. And so please grab one of those. We try to grab one and put it up on our refrigerator and around mealtime as a family. Um, you know, just pray for whoever's on, on that day. And it's a great, great way to be faithful in praying for the missionaries and the ministries that Maranatha is a part of and supports locally and uh, around the world. A reminder that we are working on our directory, our Breeze directory, so if you still need to do updates on that, if you haven't gotten access to that and you want to be a part of that, let us know. Contact the church office this week or contact Michelle or myself, and we'd love to get you updated on that. 
Um, we, we are actually working on printing a sample, a uh, printed copy of the directory. So in the coming weeks, you'll be able to take a look at that and see what your information looks like in there. And again, if you want to have certain information that you keep um, private, um, that's fine. You can designate that um, and, and certain information that you're willing to share with others within the congregation. Um, I think it'll be a really helpful way for us to continue to um, match names with faces and uh, just to get to know each other and, and connect with one another. Uh, so that, that's uh, coming out. Hopefully by the end of this month, our goal is to have that available as a final uh, product, uh, both the online and the printed directory. If you have questions, again, just let us know. Um, I don't think my wife will be here to help people with that today. Uh, we do have a, a sick kid at home. So, uh, but you can contact me between services and I can try to help you. Um, Christmas cards as well. So if you didn't already grab one of these, the staff um, puts together usually a little Christmas card. So those are in a basket just outside the door there. And we'll probably leave those out for another week or so. But if you didn't already grab one, um, you can grab one of those. That's just a, a little Christmas card from the Maranatha staff. Um, and just said by way of celebration, each week we try to celebrate something. And as I was thinking about this morning, just a couple things. One, I want to mention that um, Pastor Aaron is, is on vacation with his family. And Pastor Cody is actually preaching, doing pulpit supply, filling in at another church in Wisconsin that, that needed someone to fill in. And so we have the privilege of hearing from Darren Cox again, bringing the word this morning. And what a blessing it is to have Darren with us again. Um, if you've heard him preach before, you know that um, God, God speaks powerfully through Darren. And, and I'm excited to hear from him this morning. Um, but I want to, in a moment, before he comes up. I want to pray for Cody as well as he's uh, preaching elsewhere. But I was also just thinking about celebrating God's goodness to our church over the past year. And this list could be incredibly long, but early this morning, um, between helping um, uh, my, my one child um, with sickness early in the morning, I was jotting some notes down just reflecting on God's faithfulness to our our church. Financially, as I already mentioned, God has provided for all of our needs um, through your faithful support and uh, for our various ministries and the missionaries that we support. There's numerous um, um, professions of faith, numerous people that came to faith through kids and youth ministry that I know of this past year. And also, uh, one of the things that we love is that it's not just through the ministries of the church, but it's through families. And we're big about parents being the primary disciple makers of their kids. And so it's, it, it just is such a delight when I hear of parents who have that opportunity to lead a child of their own to Christ. And whether it's through um, a, a leader or a ministry here or at home, we celebrate those um, those people whose names are now written in the book of life. Uh, as I was looking through my notes, we had um, 18, at least 18 people that were baptized. No, there were 18 that got baptized out at Silver Lake uh, this summer during our uh, annual baptism service that we do out there. Um, that's one of the larger groups that we had, so that's such a highlight of the year for me, just seeing people being faithful to God and in, in, in being obedient to God in, his, in Christ's command to be baptized. Think about Operation Christmas Child and the, the thousands of, of gift boxes that are traveling you know, around the world um, to bless children and, and share the gospel with them. Helping Hands Ministry, I saw, saw Bob here, and I know that the, that uh, a quiet ministry that a lot of times people don't know what they're busy doing, but they're busy, and they're doing a lot. And Helping Hands, Mary, or, uh, or Hospitality, Mary's here representing that. And just, you know, and this morning, and last night, actually, um, 
people out salting and clearing the, the parking lot, just people who are faithful in, in serving the Lord and in kids' ministry and youth ministry and the adult ministries. Last January, we made the decision as elders to go down to one service for a season in order to uh, try and help the congregation connect better. And while, while that was challenging in some ways, it was packed in here certain Sundays, it was hard to find a seat, it was fun to see people connecting with others that they didn't already have a relationship with, that they didn't already know. And so we celebrate that, um, and we did that through you know through the end of the summer before transitioning back to two services we did our adult discipleship groups and you know early on we had over 100 people involved in those and uh, you know and, and it's numbers have gone down some on that um, but and and we have some things that are going to be coming up I'm not going to completely spill the beans but uh, we're going to be making a little push for small groups coming up so next week hopefully you come back you're going to hear more about that and uh, and just want to celebrate Pastor Cody's faithful preaching of God's word obviously complimented by others who come and share like Darren and, and others as well but uh, just thankful for a pastor who is committed to God's word not just preaching what he wants to say but taking us through God's word systematically and preaching it so again this list could have been 10 times longer. There's just so many other things that we can celebrate in 2023 in terms of God's faithfulness to our church. Um, we've had losses as well, and even this past week. I know uh, Matt, Matt Schultz's dad passed away, as well as Elfrida's husband, Dan Schroeder, passed away. Um, both of those funerals will be next Saturday. Um, um, Matt's dad's funeral in Stanley, and and uh, I think Bloomer is where Dan Schroeder's funeral, and there's other losses that we've experienced, but we, we think about God's goodness and his faithfulness to us, even through those, those losses, and celebrate graduations to heaven for those that we love. So hopefully you have taken some time, um, if you haven't, this week, I encourage you to spend some time this afternoon as a family, or with some loved ones, just reflecting on God's goodness and his faithfulness in your life. Um, and celebrate that and thank him for all that he has done for you. Ultimately, you know, we remember this season of him sending his son uh, to live on this earth and to suffer and to die that we might live. So with that, let me pray, and then I'll invite uh, Pastor Darren. Uh, He is Pastor Darren, so we'll just go with it. Pastor Darren, come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and I pray for uh, Pastor Cody as he's preaching at another free church here in, in the district just to support them and encourage them as they were without a pastor um, this morning. I pray that you'd speak powerfully through him. Be with Pastor Aaron as he's enjoying some time um, with family. Um, I pray for safety as he travels back here this week. And uh, pray for Darren Cox as he opens your word in, in the book of Psalms again and uh, helps us to uh, reflect on on your word and to apply it to our lives. I pray that you'd speak powerfully through him. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us, your faithfulness in every part of our lives. And uh, you, you give and you take away, yet praise be the name of the Lord. We love you and we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So join me in welcoming Darren Cox this morning. Good morning. We are uh, praying for no microphone issues this morning, but uh, no, I'm not a pastor. Interestingly enough, when I got done with uh, seminary, I never, never felt the call into pastoral ministry, but as my um, beard has gotten grayer and I've gotten older, uh, I've had more and more opportunities to be able to bring God's word, and, and I tell you what, I'm, I'm always in awe at how God works in and through broken people. And uh, I know 
what I used to be prior to Christ. So to be able to stand here in front of you is um, humbling, um, but it's also an amazing privilege because God's word changes lives. And, uh, you know, as Pastor Tony was talking about uh, reflection and looking back over, over the last, you know, year with all the blessings that are, that are there, that's no different from, you know, for my family as well, because we're obviously in a season of celebration. We're coming to the end of a Christmas season. But Heather and I very much are in a time of reflection as well. And I'll give you a little bit of context here. Now, many of you are aware that my children were raised uh, in this church for, for the most part. Um, their spiritual development has been greatly influenced by Pastor Tony, um, by some of the other faithful volunteers around here. And we've watched them grow. We've watched them grow as a result of, you know, being fed here at Maranatha. But, but few things have had the influence upon my kids that summer Bible camp has had upon their spiritual growth. And from the time when they were, you know, little, all the way up through high school, into the basic discipleship groups, and into home base, their faith has become their own because Arrowhead Bible Camp enabled them to stretch their legs, so to speak, stretch their spiritual minds through the teaching. So, yes, this is a shameless plug for Bible Camp. I will absolutely admit that. But as parents... If you ever feel like you can't afford to be able to send your kids to camp, one thing I know about this body is if there was a thousand kids that needed to go to camp and couldn't afford it, Maranatha would figure out a way to be able to send those thousand kids to camp. So, and I'm grateful for that. Now, with camp comes camp romances. Even though it's not supposed to happen, it does. You know, they've got this, you know, red and blue and purple color thing that they're supposed to avoid at camp. And I think my, my youngest daughter, Michaela, you know, basically ignored that because through her time at camp and also her, her work at camp, she met a young man named Colton Rasmussen uh, from Winona. And three weeks ago, him and I got left alone. And he sat down next to me on the couch and I looked and his hand was shaking and I'm like, ah, boy, I know what's coming. <laughs> I knew what, was, knew what was coming because he was going to ask for my permission to be able to marry my daughter. I got choked up then and I'm going to do it again now, but that's all right. We love our babies. Now, I've told the girls that I wasn't just going to arbitrarily stand there at a wedding and, you know, who gives this woman away her mother and father do. I wasn't just going to say that as part of the ceremony. I wanted her to give me something to give her away to. Because it's my job to provide, it is my job to protect, and it is my job to spiritually guide, and I don't give that up lightly. But Colton earned that. And I'm very excited to announce that Colton and Kayla will be married this June. So we're very, very excited as parents. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Now, I vividly remember when Heather and I got back from our honeymoon, and she came into the, the room where I was resting and asked how I was doing. And when I'm troubled, the last thing that I want is for somebody to touch me. It's just like the dam breaks when somebody puts their hand on my shoulder, and Heather did that, not knowing me very well, and I lost it. And I just kind of sat there and I wept. And as a younger person, I, I wasn't much of a crier. As I've gotten older, I heard this term, we as older men begin to struggle with emotional incontinence, and that's what I have now. It happens regularly, and there's nothing I can do about it. So, but I couldn't put into words what my heart was feeling at that time, fresh off this honeymoon. 
And upon reflection and upon looking back, what I was realizing was that the commitment that I had made to her a week prior scared me. It scared the tar out of me. Because nothing will expose selfishness more than being married. That's just kind of what, what happens. Because this, I, know, I like the toilet lit up. I'm sorry. You know, I like to be able to drink milk straight out of a jug. Skip the glass. What do I need it for? You know, if I leave the towel on the floor, I know where it is tomorrow. I don't want to have to pick those things up. So, you know, marriage exposed these things in my mind because I knew I was going to have to begin to live for somebody else. And I was wondering what Heather had to have been thinking at that moment. She's like, do I get a mulligan? Do I get a do-over? You know, what's going through her mind as all this stuff is coming out? But in saying I do, or I will, depending upon the vows, it's going to reveal something about your character. It will show what you are made of. It will show the world how resolute you are. And that word resolute is something that we're going to hear over and over and over again this morning. Now, to be resolute means it's a dogged determination that will not be derailed. Now, tomorrow we're stepping into the new year, and with New Year's comes New Year's resolutions. Some of you may be embarking on those. A typical New Year's resolution is weight loss. It's debt management. It's perhaps finding a new job or, or, or finding love. But we're going to see a lot of that in the next couple of days and couple of weeks. But to be resolute means that you are so singularly focused in your pursuit of the goal that nothing is going to get in your way. Nothing's going to get in the way of you accomplishing that. No excuses, no selfishness, just results. So, in light of the pending I do's in June, and in light of the countless New Year's resolutions that are about to be embarked upon, let's look at Psalm 101. So if you have your Bibles, open up to that. Now, King David in Psalm 101 is the very definition of resolute. And we're going to look at this psalm in its entirety this morning. Now, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher from years past, that he was so prolific, they actually called him the Prince of Preachers because there was very few passages that he hadn't spoke on. But he says this about King David in Psalm 101. He says, This is just such a psalm as the man after God's own heart would compose when he was about to be king over Israel. It is David all over. Straightforward, resolute, devout. There's no trace of policy or vacillation. The Lord has appointed him to be king, and he knows it. And he therefore purposes in all things to behave as becoming of a monarch that the Lord himself has chosen. We never praise the Lord better than when we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So Psalm 101 is King David's manifesto, if you will. It's his declaration of what he's going to do and what his rule is going to be like. And he's setting the bar of leadership, for not only for himself, but also for the people to be able to follow. And as I read through this psalm, what went through my mind is David was speaking to himself. He was gearing himself up for what was in front of him. Putting a charge into himself to be resolute in his service of the ultimate king, the king of glory. So read along with me. 
Psalm 101, I will sing of your love and justice to you, Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life when you come to me. I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked of the land, and I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Now as we read through this text, hopefully there are two words that grabbed your attention because these two words are repeated over and over again. As a matter of fact, 15 times in this psalm, King David says, I will, I will. He's giving a declaration of what he's going to do. Not what he wants to do, not what others think perhaps that he should do, not what he feels you know, he may do. This is what he is going to do. And of course, I thought of Yoda, and we're going to skip the thinking, you know, the, the trading in for, I will try. He says, no try, just do. If you've got any Star Wars geeks out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So let's start with verse 1. Let's kind of pick this apart a little bit. I will sing of your love and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praise. Now in Psalm 100, the psalmist calls the whole earth to sing. He says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. But here we see King David saying, I will sing. I will sing. And one of the things Tony brought up a minute ago was not only the the blessings of the last year in reflection, but also the things that we've lost and because of you know, the nature of what I do for work, many times I'm helping people walk through dark times. I'm helping people walk through desperate times. And I will tell you, as I, and I see this throughout the course of Scripture, one of the best things that we can do is to purpose to praise when we're struggling. Because what that does is it takes our mind off our circumstances and puts our mind on the one who's in control of our circumstances. And that's what worship does. So this I will sing is declarative. It's purposeful in his heart. And it also reminded me of the Sunday school song we used to sing called Praise Him. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him in the morning, praise Him in the noontime, praise Him, praise Him. Praise Him till the sun goes down. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about here. And David is doing just that. And what he's singing of is the twofold components of God's praise. And that is His love and His justice. Because out of God's love for us and our desire to live a life worthy of this calling, worthy of what He's done for us, we sing. We sing. God's love is compelling. God's love is overwhelming. And God's love is life-changing. That is why we sing. That is why it sometimes causes overflow out of the heart called worship. And I'm sure there are times in your own personal walk with the Lord where you've just been brought to your knees by this overwhelming reality that He loves you. And we bandy that term about God loves you so much that sometimes it loses its oomph. 
But I'm here to tell you, God's love is life-changing. And that's why we worship. I know who I was prior to Christ. I said that earlier. I know where my mind was prior to Christ. I know what I did prior to Christ. And yet, He loved me anyways. He loves you anyways. And that's what changes lives. And this is an overwhelming, grab-you-by-the-back-of-the-shirt type of moment that changes you. That changes you. And King David sings of this. And out of our understanding that sin demands payment, that we've violated the standard of a holy God, we fall on God's mercy, which again is driven by His love. And the closer you go, go and the longer you go in your walk with the Lord, what you become is more painfully aware of that sin nature. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Quoting Charles Spurgeon again, he, he says about this passage, Unto thee, O Lord, I will sing. Winter or summer, I will sing. Poverty or riches, I will sing. Sickness or health, I will sing. Life or death, I will sing. I will love thee in life, I will love thee in death, and I will praise you as long as you give me breath. I will sing. Verse 2. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. Now the greatest single act of praise that we can do is by living an obedient life. And this is what King David is doing. He's making a declaration of obedience. Now, we know that King David was anything but perfect. His struggles were recorded in the annals of history for all of us to be able to see. But in his heart, he was determined to live a life worthy of his calling. And God referenced David as a man after his own heart. God's presence resides in the obedient praises of His people. And this is what King David is desperately desiring. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I may seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I got to thinking, if somebody said, you get to ask for one thing, would I have asked for the same thing? And selfishly, I was thinking of like a Red Rider BB gun or something along those types of lines. But, you know, this is what the psalmist is referring to. If you don't get that joke, you don't watch Christmas movies, and I got nothing to say because there's no help. So, hopefully you get it. But, you know, genies and lamps and three wishes kind of come to mind, but... You know, I would hope I would ask for the same thing. To be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord forever. Further goes on and say, when will you come to me? And it made me evaluate, what type of home do you make for your king? And what steps are you taking to create an environment that fosters God's felt presence in your life? Now, how many of you have resolved to live a blameless life? Perhaps you should start now. How many of you have resolved to have a blameless home? Again, perhaps we should start now. How many of you have resolved to walk integrity at work or at school? And again, perhaps we should start now. Because this is what King David is doing, because he desperately desires God's presence in all that he does. And he's demonstrating this desire through an obedient life. Now, 
that obedient life starts within the home. We don't want, I don't want to be a type of person that acts one way on Sunday and then different the rest of the week. Where I'm from, we call that a hypocrite. Okay? I don't want to be that type of person. So it starts within the home. And somebody once asked George Whitfield, another famous preacher, to give a reference on another man. You know, what kind of man is he? To which Whitfield replied, I cannot say because I've never lived with him. I've never lived with him. To test, the way to test a man is to live with him. And the blameless life begins within the home. You know, with kids, they say that more is caught than taught. And this is really where modeling comes into play as parents and grandparents. Verse 3, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part of it. Now, another translation says here that I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Now, as I was evaluating this, we live in a world that's got a lot of worthless things to be able to look at. This, one's, this one takes some effort. This one is, is hard because so many things want to grab our attention. They want to grab a hold of us. But the key thing here is, am I looking on with approval? There's a difference between a glance and a gaze. Because what I gaze at oftentimes will follow me and oftentimes stick to me like super glue. And those are the things that you know, King David is referencing that he wants no part of. This is vile. This is worthless. He also says that he hates what faithless people do. Now, if you have faithless people in your life, guess what you're probably going to be like? Probably going to be fairly faithless. Verse 4. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Came across this quote that said, No man can afford to be a friend of a man who is not a friend of God. If he does not love God, quit his company, for he will do you no good. Now we all know that bad company corrupts good morals. And this is certainly true with those who are perverse in heart. Now to be perverse means that you're crooked. All right? And King David is clearly saying that he does not want these types of people around him. I don't want to be around crooked people. Now a ruler will typically set up a cabinet of men and women who provide counsel, who provide support, and input on matters of government. We call those people today politicians. And I long for politicians who aren't crooked, or a ruler who falls to his knees and surrounds himself with godly people, and people, men and women, who are upright in heart rather than perverse. That's leadership I would follow. Verse 5, Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. Now, if you've ever been slandered by somebody, you know how much it stings. You know how much it hurts. When it's happened to me, I have to remind myself of who I follow because I get fighting mad. And that's not a good place for me to be. I have a tendency to get a little loose and reckless with my words and I can cause more damage. So it's one of those areas that I've had to grow through. But slander just makes me mad because I want to be known for what I do and who I am not somebody else's opinion that wants to go and tell other people their, that opinion of me. 
And it's hard to have peace and unity in any environment when slander occurs, and that's what King David is addressing. He's saying, I'll have nothing to do with it. And as a matter of fact, he's going to deal with it succinctly. You know, whoever slanders their neighbor, I will put to silence. And this succinct and direct approach to dealing with slander, in my opinion, is how we should deal with it today. Now that's done lovingly, but it's done directly, because quite frankly, slander has no place in the body of Christ. Verse 6 and 7, My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, and they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. And again, what we're highlighting here is the importance of the company that you keep. A student will be like his master. The frog in the soon-to-be-boiling kettle walks, lacks the sense to be able to get out. Not so with King David. His company would be of faithless or faithful rather than faithless people. He would surround himself with truth-tellers rather than ear-ticklers or liars. Now, how do you tell a faithful person? What do, you, what, do you, what do you look for there? A faithful person stays the course by relying upon God to steady their nerves while he steadies the storm. I look around at this body and there are men who exemplify what it means to be faithful. There are women who exemplify what it means to be faithful. Those are the people that you want to be around. I want to be known as that big oak tree that's standing in the middle of the field that don't move much when the wind blows. That's the wind of culture. That's the wind of change. So that's a faithful person. How do you tell an honest person? What do you look for there? Honest people tell the truth even when it hurts. Even when they know it's going to cost them. Again, it's done lovingly. But they tell the truth because they value God's approval rather than the empty applause of man. And these are the people that we want to surround ourselves with. This is what we see King David doing. Verse 8. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Now unless you are the ruler of a kingdom, this might be a little difficult to be able to do. But each of you does have influence over a kingdom. It's called your home. It's called your family. And your ability to influence them um, is there as well as being able to foster a, a spiritual environment of growth. And to be able to do that, you have to address your own sin nature. You have to silence your own wickedness. Now again, this is hard for us to do because we don't like to look at ourselves through the lens of being sinfully wicked. Um, and I think this is harder for us even in our you know, day and age now than perhaps it was years back because we like to think of ourselves now as enlightened, you know, as educated, as free. like to see ourselves that history when they evaluate us, evaluate us will see us on the right side of the moral scale. But one of the things that I appreciate about hymns is they give us a glimpse into the way people thought about Jesus, about God, about sin, about uh, redemption. And I read things like, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, 
and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Now, how many of you, when you looked in the mirror this morning, thought, you worm? Probably nobody, right? It's not something, that's not, not how I like to think of myself. You know, you to man, you to worm. Um, <laughs> but drops of grief cannot repay the debt of love I owe. Hear the Lord, I give myself away, and that's all that I can do. Some of you might be recognizing this hymn by, by now. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. That's where that, those words come from. Now we need reminders that until we reside in glory, we're going to struggle with the flesh. We're going to struggle with that our own personal evil. And yes, I'm crucified with Christ. And I love that verse. But I have to also be remembered that the life I live, I live in the body. And that body includes the struggle. And I need to be able to do something about that struggle. And that's what King David is resolving here with these I wills. That's what he's doing. He's addressing that. So what do we do with these verses? What do we do with these resolutions that King David has put forward? Because I don't want this to be viewed like just some rah-rah slogan that a Navy SEAL is going to say before he goes out on a mission, you know? So I want to give you some ideas, some things to be able to think about as we put these in to practice. Number one, develop and cultivate a mindset that there is no more noble pursuit in all of human history than the pursuit of Christ. Listening to... uh, Jake, a few weeks back, um, I loved his emotions. I loved what he brought forward. He got emotional when he talked about Christ because everything else fails in comparison to the knowledge of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, the Apostle Paul says that he resolved to know nothing while he was with you except Christ and Him crucified. And what we noticed here with the Apostle Paul is that his purpose his resolve, his determination, his conclusion, his degree, decree, is not the pursuit of a specific behavior. It's the pursuit of a specific person. Okay? Because if I go after money, if I go after a better physique, if I go after a, a nice car, a nice home, those are all things for me and about me. But Paul's resolution here is for Christ and about Christ for the purpose of praising God. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So number one, resolve to know Christ and nothing less. If there's any resolution that you have starting tomorrow, make that number one. Number two, ask God for a willful determination that's based on His power, His character, His spirit, and not your feelings. One of the things I notice in Scripture is God usually doesn't ask me how I feel. He doesn't. He asks me what's true. Okay, so you have to weigh what, how you feel versus what is true. And truth trumps feelings. Now, this entire list of I will statements that we just went through are nothing more than a Joel Olstein self-help sermonette if they're done in the absence of the great I am. Because the great I am is what gives us the ability to live out this series of I wills. The great I am is what gives us the ability to live out this series of I wills. And again, we see this with the Apostle Paul. 
In Ephesians 1, 17-20, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. So that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and the incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength that He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Now I want you to notice there's two activities that Paul does here. One in verse 17 and one in verse 18. Number one, I keep asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom. To keep asking is resolute. It's determined. It's demonstrating an attitude. It's demonstrating this ongoing pattern of behavior. Ask that you may know Him better. One of God's promises is seek Me and you will find Me. So I keep asking. In verse 18, we read the Apostle Paul said, I pray, I pray that you may understand the hope that you have in Jesus Christ and recognizing that the same power that lives within you is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is what empowers our resolutions. So we need to resolve to ask and we need to resolve to pray. Number three, Recognize that you cannot pursue Christ half-heartedly and expect that you're going to grow. It doesn't work half-hearted. I don't want to be a stuck saint. I don't want to reach the end of my days and tearfully recognize that I didn't give it my all in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. As I was reading through this, I was reminded of a interview that I saw with Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, old defensive coordinator as well. And his instruction to his football, his defensive players was to run to the ball like your hair's on fire. With a purpose, okay? With a mission. With a sense of urgency. And my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is at the end of our days that we lived like people who operated like our hearts were on fire. Like our hearts were on fire. Set ablaze for all things that are of Christ. And we see this modeled again with the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 3, verses 7-14, through 14, he says this, Whatever gains to me I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. It's the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, to somehow attain the resurrection from the dead, Not that I've already obtained it or have already arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. This picture of Christ taking hold of you, that's what salvation is like. He grabs a hold of your heart and He changes you from the inside out. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be resolute. Paul has a dogged determination for one thing, and that is to become more and more like Christ. And he sees that nothing in his life compares with knowing Jesus and being able to be like him. And that is his ultimate goal, to be able to do that. So I want to land this plane. I want to close with this. What you feed is what you become. What you feed is what you become. And what you ponder the next day, the next week, the next month in your life is going to be influenced, going to be directly impacted by what you are feeding. What are you becoming and that's a personal challenge for you, a personal challenge for me. Are you resolute in becoming more and more like Christ? I would encourage you to evaluate what are your own I will statements. What are the statements that you're going to implement in this next year? I will love better. I will love deeper. I will finish strong. Fill in the blank but I would encourage you to evaluate your own I will statements and let them govern your life as you let your light shine before men and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for faithful men and women who have modeled for us what it means to follow you. And God, I pray by your spirit that we would indeed be empowered to live out godly lives. That our lives would reflect you. That they would bring you glory. And they would pique the interest of an unbelieving world that wants to know what's going on with that person. Why, what do they have? And may we in our lives point them to you and say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand with us and, and say, I will sing to my God who has been so good to me.